The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Are you looking for a new and empowering lens through which to view your life and your health? Then register now for Get Healthy with Sound, a weekend workshop with Eileen McCusick, an innovator in the fields of therapeutic sound, electric health, and the human biofield. May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn easy and accessible techniques to reduce stress, improve focus, and increase energy. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. One, two, three, Welcome to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. The OG of healthy vegan living for over 40 years. She's the author of classics like Main Street Vegan and The Love Powered Diet. Moran and her guests are here to bring you the vitality, spirituality, and compassion that come from this way of life. Now, here's Victoria. Do you believe in reincarnation? I think we've got proof of it today. Maybe not for people, but for podcasts. Welcome, everybody. I'm Victoria Moran, and this is Tada Main Street Vegan, returning after a 16-month hiatus, and I couldn't have a better guest to be kicking off Main Street Vegan's next lifetime, and that is Colleen Patrick-Gaudreau. You know, when the Main Street Vegan show started back in 2012, I believe it was the fifth vegan podcast in the world. And Colleen Patrick Goudreau's was probably, we can ask her, the first. This woman is a trailblazer. She has been around for years promoting one idea in myriad forms, that is compassion. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. For those of you who may not know Colleen or may not know her as well as you would like, Colleen Patrick Goudreau is a true thought leader in the practical and ethical aspects of living compassionately. Colleen, also known as the Joyful Vegan, is an award-winning author of seven books, including the best-selling The Joy of Vegan Baking and the 30-Day Vegan Challenge, as well as her newest, The Joyful Vegan, How to Stay Vegan in a World that Wants You to Eat Meat, Dairy, and Eggs. She is an acclaimed speaker, host of the Inspiring Food for Thought podcast, and its spinoff, Animalology, which I probably mispronounced. She can do that for us. <laughs> I'll ask that first. How do you say this word? And um, Animology, that's it. I got it, is also the title of her TEDx talk. In addition, Colleen co-founded the East Bay Animal Political Action Committee to work with government officials on animal issues in the San Francisco Bay Area. And when she has nothing else to do, she puts together a group and leads them on sustainable vegan trips all around this planet. Welcome, joyful vegan, Colleen. <laughs> Welcome, joyful Victoria. So good to you. <laughs> it is wonderful, wonderful, wonderful to be here with you. And when your people had reached out about having you back on the show, which you've been on a few times, not enough probably, <laughs> We didn't know that we were going to be bringing back Main Street Vegan and that you would be the very first guest. So some things work out just as they're supposed to. And I love the topic that you suggested, which is to really do a deep dive into compassion. But before we do that, for people who may not know how you became the Joyful Vegan, where did you start? Mm, mm, gosh. Well, I started definitely not being vegan. I think I was always joyful. I do think that I have always kind of oriented to be to joy. And 
optimism and hope and uh lucky lucky for me because uh because i know it can be really hard to to cultivate that and i and i do cultivate i do cultivate my my joy i don't just uh i, I didn't just come this way and that's the good news is that anybody can cultivate it as well it's a skill i think uh so but i wasn't always vegan i grew up eating meat dairy and eggs and you know my story i think is pretty typical victoria you know i didn't know and then i knew and when i found out i didn't want to be part of it i mean that's kind of the long and short of it and once i found out and didn't want to be part of it anymore it being contributing to violence against animals in the way i was when i was eating them and wearing them and you know buying products i didn't realize were tested on them and all the things i also very quickly, very naturally wanted to raise awareness so other people could have that same experience. Because truly, the experience I had becoming vegan, and I, I have to say this, and I think you'll appreciate it, I that term is very funny to me, right? As if we become something different than we were. And so words mean so much to me. I, I, I just think it's so important to articulate clearly what what it means when I say I became vegan. And for me, I didn't become something different. I was already a compassionate person, but my compassion had been dulled. It had been hidden. It had been compartmentalized. It had been conditionalized. And so becoming vegan for me uh, is a shortcut way of saying I removed those blocks to the compassion that was already inside of me. And the reason I think it's so important to characterize it that way for me is because it means when I'm advocating to people who aren't vegan, I know they're already compassionate. I know it's in there, but I know all those walls we put up and that we're encouraged to put up and all of the excuses we make and all of the blindness that we choose to have, this willful blindness, all of us collectively as a society, but also individually is what hinders it. And so for me, when I became vegan, it really was stepping into a very authentic, joyful place for me. And I bear witness and I did bear witness and I encourage people to bear witness and I do look at the suffering and I am aware of all of the violence that takes place every single day. And yet I have never had to ever again feel I have to make excuses for the way I live and the way I eat and the choices I make. It's a freedom, it's a liberation, and it's a joy. And so that's how I became who I am or con continued on the journey. And it's what I try to convey because I want people to know you can have your eyes wide open, you can be wide awake, you can bear witness, you can live in this world that can feel really heavy sometimes, but also do it in a way that feels really good. Because I'm not a martyr. I don't do this because it feels bad and I'm, you know, I'm hoping for some kind of salvation. I I do it because it feels good to live this way and that's what I really try to convey to to the audience that I'm, you know, blessed to be able to have. And there are different members of this audience and I think some people have never given this a thought. It's never crossed their mind and occasionally if we're the first person to let them know what goes on, their eyes open really widely and their hearts open and very often they make a very rapid change. But there are other people, I think about people who have spiritual lives and say they pray for the souls of the animals that they eat and that's enough for them. I also think about people who really do care about animals or certain animals and very often in an active way, maybe they're doing uh, companion animal rescue or wildlife rehabilitation. And yet the whole idea of, of adopting a vegan lifestyle is, is just not there, there for them. <laughs> so how do you address these different kinds of, of groups and individuals? There's so much to say about it. It's so interesting to me. It's a really interesting topic to me. And it is really the topic. It is the uh, the focus of The Joyful Vegan, my most recent book, about why people resist becoming vegan, why they stop being vegan, why they have challenges being vegan. And I would say just off the bat, the first thing is that we really underestimate how social we are as beings and 
our belongingness really matters to us. And I know that it's really tempting for someone who might, I think from a very cynical place say, oh, well, then you care more about yourself and you care more about your social standing than animals. That's not good. And I would say, no, 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 no. People aren't looking at it that way. They're not thinking I'm choosing myself over my values or I'm choosing this value over that value. It just really matters to people that they belong, that they don't kind of stand out. I mean, I know that we kind of live in a world where everybody wants to stand out and it's me, 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 but, but, but in terms of feeling like you're not rocking the boat, you're still part of your family. You can still travel. You can still work. You can, you don't have to call attention to yourself when you're eating at a restaurant. All of these are the things that people think about when they think about doing something different and it impacts their decision because they think it's going to be challenging and they think it's just going to be impossible. And they think it's going to, change their social lives and change their relationships. So first and foremost, a lot of that subconscious, people aren't necessarily thinking of it consciously, but that's something I think about and remember all the time when I'm aware that people are good and kind and compassionate, but not manifesting it fully. It's also that in every way in our society, we are encouraged to be part of the status quo. It is the it is everything and it's related again to that belongingness right and we think that you know eating meat is not an orientation we think being vegan is an agenda and an orientation and something different and eating meat is like status quo and it's just status quo because it's the majority but it's we're still making a decision to you know have an orientation so so people are afraid of what feels like something that's going to pull them out of what is familiar and they're afraid. I mean, there's a lot of fear. And then, then there's, you know, on top of the messaging we get around, it's hard, you know, it's not easy. You have to identify this way. You're going to have to change your whole life. Um, it's not going to be easy to find food. All of this, you know, you're not going to be able to get your nutrients. You're going to, you know, starve. I mean, all of the things, they're, it's all based in fear. Now it's fears we know are unfounded, but the big question as advocates is how do we get that across to people who have the block? because of the fear that's stopping them from making a change that we know they're going to benefit by and we know they're going to feel great once they do how do we how do we get underneath that the other thing i would say that's related to the social aspects is the identity aspect i am not a fan of campaigns or posts whatever it is that says things like you can't care about your dog and eat animals at the same time. Yes, you can. We are so good at being able to compartmentalize the things we care about. So I don't believe for a second that the millions of people who love cats and dogs or birds outside in the yard don't care and aren't compassionate. They do. It's just that we're really good at being able to compartmentalize. And our language is one of the ways we do this. Even if you think about how we can compartmentalize people who say they love dogs, they might say, I love dogs and dogs should never be harmed. Oh, but dogs in research laboratories, if that's going to help people, then okay, I'm okay with that. But let's make sure that dogs are out of shelters and they're in good homes right? I mean, we're even able to compartmentalize and separate out within a species. So we're just really good at that because if it serves our need to not change because change is really scary and to stay in the status quo and to not do things that are too fearful and to, you know, to, to make sure we, you know, we keep our, our relationships, we're going to do it. And so that's what I just like have as my baseline that I know that's where people are coming from. Now that doesn't mean, and we can talk about this, that I don't then want to chip away at those blocks and how do we get to their heart so that we can kind of remove all those blocks. Of course I do, but I start with the baseline that they're afraid, that they don't know, they don't understand, they don't have the information, because it's so easy to get on the other side and forget the times that we didn't know. It is so easy to forget that I also made excuses, that I loved eating animal products, that that I was afraid or whatever it was. We have to remember that so that when we encounter someone and talk to someone, we can at least come from that place of, I get it. 
I get it. You're not different from me and I'm not some ethereal being and you're not some horrible being and I we have to find a way to meet. It's no, we're we're both on the we're already there. Now it's a matter of okay, how can we chip away at all of those excuses we make? Mm, beautiful. You did a little phrase early on when we were talking about people that maybe aren't open to this idea, but then you talked about people who stop. So address a little bit the ex-vegan. Why did they stop and uh, can we help them get back? Yeah. Well, the thing I would say, first of all, is the research shows that people who do become vegan or vegetarian and then stop and go back to eating animal products the, there's a really high percentage of those people who want to come back again. And so we have to remember that, that they might vacillate, but they want to come back. And if we, as a community, as an orientation, just say, you're horrible, you were never vegan in the first place, and we literally deny them the legitimacy and the credibility they had, because people, if they were vegan, they were vegan. But this idea that, no, mentally, you just, you weren't that you, you weren't vegan because if you really were, you would never consider going back again. That is so, it's, it's literally, it's, it's, it's just denying them their, like I said, they, they, their legitimacy, right? It's, it's like, we're trying to just excommunicate them. And so what, so what does that mean? You're going to put a black mark on them and that, does that make you feel better? What we need to do is say, where did you struggle? How can we help? What did, what can I do? What did we do wrong as a movement? Right. These are the questions we have to ask ourselves, not put it on the individual and then you shame them, which is what we see all over the internet. Surprise, surprise. It's the internet that happens all the time. But even in people's conversations, they, you know, they do that. So number one is people want to come back. Number two is it's kind of interesting is people, again, the research shows is typically they eat less animal products. They eat fewer animal products when they go back. So I'm only saying these things to say there's still hope. They're not just going back to eating as much as they did before. So even people who try and, you know, and then go back again, they're, they still made changes that do impact the number of animals who are killed and, you know, et cetera. However, why do they stop? Why do they go back? It's really, uh, a lot of it has to do with some of the things I already said. A lot of it has to do with the social aspects. A lot of it has to do with their own perception of themselves and their identity as vegan and how they perceive it in being an anathema to their other identities, right? So if we think, now a lot of this has to do with our own owning of our identity identity as a v as vegan and there's a lot of people there are a lot of people who walk around being a bit self-effacing about it they don't want to rock the boat so they don't want to say anything and so they never really stand up and say i'm vegan and not worry about what that means to everybody else because there's this notion i mean people will say this all the time i'm sure you hear this when you say i'm vegan people say yeah i'm vegan but i'm one of those like people can do what they want vegans well i'm one of those people can do what they want i'm not walking around telling people what to do but i'm also showing up in my true light and my true power and knowing that that stuff impacts people like when you show up people go i want some of that what's that so it's just the difference the very subtle differences between saying I'm vegan. Don't worry about me. Or yeah, I, I, I just don't eat animal products, but go ahead. You guys get what you want. I don't, you don't have to do anything different for me. Right. Which sounds really noble, <laughs> but what you're, what you're doing is actually denying kind of, you know, who you are and the force of who you are. It's the difference between that and just saying, I'm vegan. Thank you so much for, you know, being mindful of that and whatever I can do to help you, uh, you know, just, you know, make that without animal products. Great. Or at a restaurant, Hey, I'm vegan. Can you just tell me what, what, you know, animal products are in the dish that I'm going to order oh, versus I'm fine. Um, I'll just have the salad. It doesn't matter. Right. It's so much of it is how we present to the world because of how we're thinking about who we are and how, who we are is going to impact other people. So I think that's a big part of why people then stop is because it's exhausting to constantly worry about what other people think. It's exhausting to be self-effacing. It's exhausting to do that and not really get what you want. But part of the reason you're not really getting what you want is because you're not asking for it. 
So it's that, it's the social aspects where people feel like, oh, I was just tired of people being defensive. I was tired of people making fun of me. I was tired of, you know, well, get over that. I mean, you what anybody else does with who you are and your values and how you live in this world, that's not yours. So it's a lot to do with the social aspects. If it has to do with food aspects, I do think, you know, I don't think people can do it wrong in the sense that I, you know, I think it's very rare that someone you know, is so depleted of nutrients because they stopped eating animal products that that's the reason they have to go back to eating animal products. I think there's individual issues. And of course, I can't speak for every single vegan who ever goes back, but sure, there might be some individual things, but I, I think that has to do with nutrients, not veganism, right? And so not every issue is a vegan issue. Not every issue people have is a vegan issue to solve. It could be something completely unrelated. Maybe you're not absorbing nutrients as well. That's not a vegan issue. That's a gut issue, right? That's a physiology issue physiological issue. So, so some of it's that, but also I do think some people, you know, who don't replace things, you know, with new things and then just remove things. And then they're hungry because they're not getting enough calories and then they don't, they feel lethargic and they're tired. That's because you're not getting enough calories. Again, it's not because you're vegan. So I think some of it is just miss, you know, some misunderstandings and some of it is, people wanting to fit in and just not feel, um, you know, when people say, you know, I'm vegan, but I don't, I don't, I'm not one of those vegans who is trying to change other people. I think what they're really saying is I haven't really found my voice. And I, and my hope for anybody is that you find your voice because, because first of all, people are paying attention and they want to hear your voice, especially people in your, in your life, but it's not, accurate to think that by virtue of you saying I'm vegan and someone getting upset by that, that you did something wrong. If someone gets upset when I just say who I am, right? I'm vegan. That's not mine. That doesn't mean I'm going to be a jerk. It just means that's their stuff. Now, if I set out to make someone upset, if I if I set out to insult someone or create this kind of separation, that's on me. Sure, that's up. But just showing up and, and being who you are. And then finally, the one thing I would say also, and this is related to the whole vegan for ethics and vegan for health, there's a lot of interesting data I, I find that has to do with identity, again, back to identity, that when we own who we are and, and make it part of our identity, uh, you know, I'm vegan or, you know, I'm, you know, I'm Catholic or I'm Christian or I'm Muslim, whatever it is, like those kinds of things really make a difference in how we orient to the world. And it also means saying I am plant-based. So it's the difference between saying I am versus I eat. I eat vegan, I eat plant-based. You're not owning that part of like that. That's something that really means a lot to you. And so saying I am plant-based can even have a different um, impact on how you navigate the world as someone who's eating differently than, than most. So some of it has to do with just how you identify um, as that and being certain that it doesn't compete with your other identities. We are many things at the same time <laughs> and veganism, and we can talk more about this. I mean, it's in alignment with how most of us were raised, how most of us were raised, even in religious settings or political settings, it is in alignment with the values that we are raised with. And so it, it, we're mistaking, we're mistaken to think that it's actually competing with our other identities. So I know that's a lot, but those are the kinds of things that go through my head when you ask a question like that. Well, that's why I love to listen to you and so do thousands of other people. So as somebody who is very interested in language, who loves words as I do, you spoke a few sentences there that included both vegan and plant-based. And I'd like to get your take on both of those terms. Mm. So, it, you know, language is tough, Victoria. It's limiting there's only so much we can say, and there are only so many ways we can say it. Even finding the best words can still be really limiting. And so we as humans who have this language, we really seek to find shortcuts. We do it all the time and we, we shorten everything. That's what we do because we want to get, our brains want to get to the quickest understanding and meaning of something. And so for me, the word vegan is a good shortcut. I don't think it encompasses everything we want to say, but we use it as a shortcut. 
I mean, I'm actually putting a post out today that says veganism is not a diet and it's not for the same reason that other people say that when, when people I see saying that it's in the vein of you should only use the word vegan when you're talking about ethics and stopping eating animal products for ethical reasons. And you should use plant-based when you're talking about stopping eating animal products for health reasons. I am less interested in dictating how people should speak and what words they should use. Even if it, if vegan characterizes someone and that's the word that is reflects who they are, then who am I to say they can't use that word? It's absolutely ridiculous to think we own that and that we have any business telling people how they should use it. Now, as an advocate and as a writer and as a communicator, I'm going to use words in a way that I think is accurate and helpful right for people and if people get that they'll glom onto it and they'll they'll that will resonate with them but i would never say you cannot use that word and you cannot use that term when i say veganism isn't in a diet isn't a diet it's because that's there's no one way to eat vegan <laughs> there's no one way to we're talking about the food here there's no one way to eat vegan you there's such a huge spectrum of diets that vegan veganism isn't a diet in the sense that it reflects all always all vegans eat all the time. You can be gluten, -free. you can have a gluten-free diet and be vegan. You can have an oil-free diet and be vegan. You can have a raw diet and be vegan. So, or in all of those diets, so those are diets because those are very specific ways that you're eliminating things or including things or whatever it is, right? For me, veganism is just like this spectrum of, you know, thousands of things to eat because I don't eat like five things and there's all these thousands of ways to eat. And that that's what's exciting to me. So that's what I mean when I say veganism isn't a diet because it doesn't reflect uh, how you eat because there's so many ways to eat. So this whole plant-based, you know, vegan thing, I think think it's become meaningful for people because I think people who are aware that they are not stopping wearing leather or, you know, not going to the zoo or whatever it is, they're aware. And, and, and this is what's important. We have to understand that, that, that becomes meaningful to them. It's a distinction that they can make. They can say that term means this to me because I don't want to step on vegans toes and say, I'm vegan when I'm really not. I'm plant-based, meaning that I don't eat animal products, but I know I should still, you know, I'm, I'm starting to let go of my leather, but I'm not there yet. So I'm not vegan. So it's become a way to create a distinction and an identity for people that I think is helpful. I think the problem is people dictating what should be said and what words people can use. And, and it just creates, I mean, we have so much in common. Like if you are vegan for health reasons and you're still wearing leather and I'm vegan for ethical reasons and I'm not, whatever, we still have so much more in common than, than anyone who's still eating animal products. Like, so our, like it's, we're just all in different points of the spectrum on our journey. And I would rather see us embrace and envelop people who are not eating animal products then make it seem like they're the problem. The problem is the billions of animals who are killed because millions of people are eating animal products. So that's my opinion on that. So when we think about the billions, it gets somewhat overwhelming. When I became vegan 40 years ago and trying 50 years ago, I really believed that in my lifetime, I would see a vegan world. And this was before anybody was talking about climate change. So that aspect of it wasn't even there. And now I see it differently, unless there's some kind of awful tragedy that forces people into doing this instead of coming at it from this joyful perspective of let me embrace life and uh, love everybody. So I wanted to ask you, about the difference between outcomes and just living a joyful vegan life. Mm, absolutely. Number one is I don't have attachment to this being a world that I would idealistically prefer. I am very aware that it's an imperfect world and I start there and my expectations remain there, but that doesn't mean there isn't so much to do and hasn't been done to make the world we're in today, which I do think is better. So 40 years ago, 50 years ago, 
So this is back to language. I do believe we are a more compassionate society. I do believe we are a more compassionate people. If you look at the number of people who care about animals, who the laws that have passed to protect animals, the litigation we're seeing, the legislation, the um, the people who don't want to see animals harmed, even the people who eat animals, and I know this is really hard, will still say, well, farm animals shouldn't be, you know, shouldn't suffer, right? So the point is, when we look at us as a as a people, I do think we, I mean, I know my history, animals were not treated like this 100 years ago, 150, 200, a thousand years ago, right? They were just strictly commodities, dogs, cats, all of them. And we are much better. We're in a much better place in terms of laws. The problem right now is because of industrialization, so many animals are able to be brought into this world, kept confined and then killed for the purpose of being killed. Like the macabre aspect of bringing animals into this world only to kill them. It's just the most macabre thing we do, right? That that's a problem because of industrialization technology, but in terms of, and, and so they're kind of, it's kind of this paradox because people care more about animals. They are more compassionate. We're seeing that. And yet more animals are killed than ever before because of the technology that enables us to do that. So when you say, I hoped for a vegan world, I would say the vegan world is the effect of the compassion that in it being a more compassionate world, the potential is greater that more and more people and technology and systems will actually follow that and reflect that because the compassion is there. The vegan part is just a is just a is just the effect of it being a compassionate place. So I don't hope for more veganism. To me, that's that's the doctrine. Like that's not, I don't live according to veganism. I live according to compassion and vegan happens to be the way to get there. I'm hopeful because I think we are more compassionate and I think that's going to keep going in that direction. So that's how I think about that. Ooh, let's do that. She's vegan. Are you looking for a new and empowering lens through which to view your life and your health? Then register now for Get Healthy with Sound, a weekend workshop with Eileen McCusick, an innovator in the fields of therapeutic sound, electric health, and the human biofield. May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn easy and accessible techniques to reduce stress, improve focus, and increase energy. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. So, Colleen, we had planned today, and we're going to do it right now, to really do a deep dive into this concept of compassion. People see it differently. Some people see it for humans only. What does it mean to you? I think it is the most powerful human experience. I think it is so deep and so powerful and so misunderstood. I think, oh gosh, you're the best person to talk about this with because there's so much to say about it. And I, I we we have to talk about it as it is different than empathy or sympathy or pity or uh, altruism, right? Those are all similar, but they're all a little different. And compassion of all of them is the one that kind of combines them all because, you know, sympathy is feeling the same for somebody else. You feel bad for someone else, but you're not necessarily, you know, feeling the same feelings they are. Empathy is you're really feeling the same feelings someone else is. So you're sad. I start feeling like I can feel it in my physiology that I'm sad. That's empathy. Altruism is an act for helping someone to help someone, but you don't necessarily have to have empathy at the moment you're, you're doing an altruistic act. I mean, I'm thinking of making a charitable donation is an altruistic act. You might not have empathy at the very moment you're writing that check. Maybe it's also for tax purposes and that's fine, but you're still doing an altruistic act. Compassion combines all of that. You are feeling very deeply and you're feeling the suffering of others, but you're acting on it. 
That's kind of the definition like that I would give, you know, in terms of like how compassion is different than those other emotions or human experiences. And so, gosh, I mean, that's the first thing to say about it. But in terms of what it means, in terms of living, it is, it means there's no separation between me and everything else in the world. And that's the hardest thing because we're so tempted and we are also as human beings tribalistic and we do find ways to distinguish ourselves from someone else or our tribe from someone else. That can be done too, but with compassion. So it's this real um, fine dance that we that we do, I think, to still claim who we are. I'm you, you're, you're you, but still do it in a way that we're connected, that we're not seeing that because you're you, and different than I am tribalistic fine 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 tribalism it isn't always bad you think of sports teams people rooting for their sports teams right it's not always bad but it means that because you're different than me that doesn't mean you're worse than me it doesn't mean you're wrong it just means you're different and so that's what compassion is to me is in the most simplistic terms is you are no different we are connected there is no separation i think suffering is i mean it really goes back to what buddhism the foundation of buddhism right suffering comes from separation and that's what i think compassion is it's actually the way that we come together and that can be really hard when we're disagreeing with someone or angry at someone or disappointed in someone or disgusted by someone those are all real things to still experience but how does compassion respond to those things so what's the opposite of compassion for you separation it is. It's it's separation. It's 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 separation, but from an arrogant place. It it's it's the it's cynicism, arrogance. Obviously, it's cruelty, but all of that has to do with separation. It's 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 you. I'm not accepting or um. Uh, just acknowledging that by virtue of me doing this thing to you that will hurt you, that by virtue of me hurting you, I'm hurting me and I'm hurting others. So the, it, it it's quite literally not accepting that there is a connection. So that's what I mean in the most basic terms that the opposite would be separation if compassion means connection and, um, uh, you know, um, connection then then separation is is the opposite so I, I know cruelty would be the opposite would be the obvious thing to say but cruelty is coming from somewhere it's coming from an orientation it's coming from a perception and i think the perception would that would incline someone to be cruel is your your you deserve it you're different than i am you're you, somehow less than i am and therefore i can do this thing because it's not going to really matter and how about our relationship with ourselves? I know there's some controversy in the yoga world where the term ahimsa is being more and more frequently used as self-care as opposed to nonviolence toward others. And of course, we want to have nonviolence toward others. And yet, caring for ourselves and having compassion for ourselves is also valid. So how do you suggest that people practice that? Mm, absolutely. I mean, it has to come from th that place that again, that we're connected. And so therefore, whatever we're putting out into the world is a way to connect, but we have to have our own center first. And we have to have that um, compassion for ourselves first. I think for me, the best way and in terms of practice, but also in terms of an analogy for practicing self-compassion and therefore compassion for others is the loving kindness meditation. It's the metta. And I think what's so powerful about that is because the loving kindness meditation starts with, may I be well, may I be happy, may I be healthy may i you know live with ease right so i'm starting there and wishing that for myself and as you're feeling those feelings it's filling up your whole body and you're you you know you just feel the joy you can feel your heart lift i mean there's so many wonderful exciting studies done on the physiology and the physiological changes that happen in people as they're doing a love, love and kindness meditation because the next part of a loving kindness meditation is sending it out to others but it's sending it out 
out to others from you. <laughs> so it's not just this kind of separate ethereal thing out in the world. It's okay. May you be well, may you be happy, may you be healthy, may you live with ease. So you're saying that first to yourself and you're feeling it in your whole body and then you're sending it out to the people, the beings, the persons, the cities, whatever it is, right? That's that's the whole, that's the whole journey of the love and kindness meditation. So what I love about that is it has to start with you and then you're able to send it out. But if you don't have it, you can't send it. So it's got to start, it's got to start here. It's essential. And in terms of, you know, animal advocates, I'll say, I think there's a real temptation to perceive self-care and self-compassion as selfish and as, um, you know, indulgent. And because I think, I'll just say it, I think there's a temptation, not always consciously, to be a bit of a martyr for the animals, you know, the people who say, no, I'm just, everything I do is for, I don't sleep, I I just, I'm an animal, I, I don't, I don't want to make money, I'm just, I'm here for animals, you know, as if anybody would get into animal advocacy, you know, for financial reasons, I mean, like, you don't have to explain, like, <laughs> you don't have to say that, right, and it's a way to think that we have to suffer as much as animals do in order to do the work we do, and I think that's a real problem because, you know, we talked about how, why people stop, being vegan, this is what's also something that has to be said. People who could be the most dedicated animal activist and vegan stop being vegan, not because they stop caring, but because they they burn out. And that burnout happens when we don't take care of ourselves. So I always say that we don't have to, we don't have to, you know, be in distress as the animals are. We have to alleviate our distress so that we can end theirs, right? So we have to take care of ourselves, like literally put your own mask on first and then help the the one who needs your help. But we have to start with ourselves. So however that works for people, I mean, loving kindness meditation is just one of the ways that I practice compassion for myself that that obviously then affects the people in my life and the way I see the world. But there's so many different ways that people can practice compassion, cultivate it. And how about compassion for people that we perceive as not practicing it very often at all? There's a line in the Tao Te Ching that says, uh, he's referring to the master, the master being the the one who is trying to live according to Taoism. And so he says, the master is good to people who are good. The master is also good to people who aren't good. That is true compassion. I mean, the idea that we compartmentalize our compassion and reserve it only for those we think deserve it or who are compassionate is not understanding what compassion is because compassion quite literally means having compassion even for those who are not good and not kind and not compassionate and who do bad things and who do violent things but the idea that we withhold compassion so again it comes back to this this separation and how it impacts me and the rest of the world it's such an uncanny thing to think about what it means to withhold compassion. And we hear people say this all the time, and I'm speaking in terms of animal advocates. Of course, everybody does this, not just animal advocates. That just happens to be the community that I know most. And they will say, I'm I'm incredibly compassionate, but I'm not going to be compassionate to that person or that group of people, let's say hunters, because of what they do to animals. And it's like, it's like no, the people who lack compassion are the people who need your compassion more than anyone, right? So the idea that we only give it to people we agree with or we think deserving of it is misunderstanding what compassion is. That doesn't mean it's easy. That's why the love and kindness meditation exists. I mean, there are times when there are people who I find really challenging and I'm sending them compassion. It's the hardest part of the love and kindness meditation because I'm angry or they disgust me or I think they're harmful or I think they're cruel. And those things are all true. And yet I still want them to have compassion because them having compassion means they are going to behave differently. So that's, that's the practice. It's not a one-time decision. It's not, you know, I just decide this. It's not easy, but that's my hope is that we realize that the problems we have in this world are not because everyone's living according to the highest compassion. The problems we have in this world 
are because people are not living according to their own values of compassion and kindness. And what I want to be able to do is get more compassion in the world, not take more away, not withhold compassion. I want to give more. And the hope is that that will have an impact not only on me, that's, you know, but potentially on others as well. Mm. And I think it's so good for veganism because the the kinder we can be, the better the reputation of this movement. And maybe we're kind to somebody who never wants to be vegan, but when their child or their grandchild wants to go vegan, they say, well, good for you because I knew this vegan and they were so helpful and so kind. And they came over when my husband was sick or, you know, whatever it is that our reputation as a group is very important and it's not always the best. It's not. And it's, you know, it's funny because so much of this is just this walking this line, because I also talk about the fact that, listen, you know, we don't have to put the pressure on ourselves to be the one representative of this entire thing called veganism. And that's a lot of pressure people put on themselves. And the thing that I see, the way I see that manifest is in ways like if people, you know, aren't the weight they think they're supposed to be to represent what it means to be vegan, or they have acne, or they get a cold, or, you know, or they get cancer. And so the pressure that we put on individuals to be this beacon of, you know, of what vegan is supposed to look like, I think that's problematic as well. And, you know, this is what vegan looks like. That's what vegan looks like. That's what vegan looks like. There's as much diversity within, you know, any, this community of, you know, of, of vegans as there are among the general population. So I think we want to be careful about that. And on the other hand, what we can't deny is that when people look at us, you know, they are thinking, well, if that's what being vegan is like, I don't want it, or I do want it, or I don't want to be part of that club. It's, it, it tends to be more of a, the, 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 the larger, greater group that people do or do not want to be part of. And so that's where I would be more interested in encouraging people to be mindful of, not necessarily you individually, please do not think that you can, you're supposed to represent in some perfect way, but knowing that people are going to go, do I want to be part of that? Do I want to be part of a community that seems kind of judgmental and unkind and whatever it is? That's what people are thinking. And so the way I talk to people from a very compassionate, joyful place doesn't mean I'm not sassy, doesn't mean I don't make jokes, doesn't mean I don't push people. And it depends on the person, right? It depends on the relationship and the circumstance and the context, right? Use your personality in all ways. Like that's that's who you are. And I am also mindful that I want someone to be able to come to me to ask me questions. I want them to feel that they can trust me. I want them to know that I'm the same as them because I have heard, you know, people say like, I, I you know, I, I wanted to be vegan, but I met this vegan who was really obnoxious and really angry and I didn't become vegan. Now that's on the person who didn't become vegan, right? That's just an, another excuse they used, but still I want to be the person that someone goes, you know, I talked to you and I really appreciated your thoughts and I want to know more. And can I ask you more questions? Right. That's what I think. And uh, and then in the in the rest, I can't control what other people think. Yes. <laughs> and yeah. in the end, I, I just can't do that. All I can do is show up and be my most authentic self and and hope that that inspires someone else. Oh, it does. <laughs> <laughs> so everybody, you can find out more about Colleen at her website, joyfulvegan.com. Uh, she's also Joyful Vegan on Instagram, and we'll put all the URLs to all the places that you can find her in the show notes at MainStreetVegan.com. And I want to ask you a lighthearted question as we come near our close. I originally knew you from the joy of vegan baking, so I still think of you as someone who is quite um, adept in the kitchen. Do you still like to cook? And if so, what's your favorite thing to make? Uh, I love to cook still. Absolutely. Uh, I, you know, I, I eat seasonally. So I, I make what is, you know, kind of in season. I'm going to go have a smoothie with some blueberries right now. Friends coming over tonight and I'm going to make her something that I love to do and really encourage people to do, which is polenta. It's one of the easiest things to make. And so I've got some broccolini, going to pop it in the air fryer, going to make some creamy polenta with some fresh basil and, uh, and we're good to go. So I do like to cook. I still keep it simple, but, um, but I, I do, I think it's the most nour nourishing, nurturing thing we can do for our loved ones is cook for them. 
Oh, that's a lovely thing. Because sometimes I get tired of it. I feel like I've been doing it for such a long time. But I think everything is about attitude. I think of a Sikh friend that I had years ago, and she would say, if you're starting to go into the kitchen, but you don't really feel good about it, you want to stand at the door of the kitchen and just do a scan of yourself and be sure that you're coming to that food prep with love. And then you're safe. Then you can cook. And I think everything you cook, everything you write, everything you say comes beautifully from love. So thank you so much, Colleen Patrick Goudreau. And thanks to everybody who is listening. If you didn't know we were coming back with Main Street Vegan and maybe you know some people who also didn't know, let them know because we are back and better than ever. I think something that will probably be different, at least for a little while, is we're just going to shoot for every other week uh, to put up an episode. When this was a radio show, it was very easy because we just did it. And now with podcasting, there's a lot more going on behind the scenes. So um, twice a month for the time being, and you can find out everything that we're doing and you can have some input on what we do here by joining the Main Street Vegan Podcast listeners group on Facebook. If you were part of that when it became the interim podcast and you didn't leave, you're still part of it. If you did leave, join us again. We would love to have you. And I would just like to close today with the words of a wonderful man, Jiten Ruparel. He is a spiritual teacher in the Vedanta community. And he said something so special that I think is really geared to those of us who care about others and who want to have an active role in helping them. He said, if you're rooted in activism, it will burn you out. If you're rooted in spirituality, in nonviolence, you won't get burned out because then whatever energy you expend will come from the infinite through you. Then it's not activism, it's compassion in action. So I don't know about you, but after this conversation with Colleen Patrick Goudreau, I feel more compassionate than I did an hour ago. And I guess that means that if you feel that way too, we're going to go out and do some good in the world. Thank you so much, Colleen. Thank you, Victoria. Thanks for listening. Find out more about today's episode at MainStreetVegan.com, where you can also learn how to take your vegan or plant-based outreach to the professional level through Main Street Vegan Academy. And join our inner circle at the Main Street Vegan Podcast listeners group on Facebook. See you next time. Do you want to deepen your connection to the divine? Speed up your progress on the spiritual path? Then tune in to the Spirit Matters podcast. I'm the host, Philip Goldberg, and I interview experts with wisdom, insight, and practical guidance for every seeker of truth. Spirit Matters on the mindbodyspirit.fm network. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.